You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Hi, guys, and welcome back to another brand new episode of You Need Therapy. My name is Kat, and I am the host. And, you know, as always, I'm so glad you're here, whether this is your first episode or if you've been with us all along. Just really glad you're here. Today, we have a great episode, and I'm super excited and and pumped and all the things about not only the topic, but the person that is here talking to us. So today, I'm going to make this short because the episode is, is, you know, you know, has a lot of stuff and want to like keep your attention. <laughs> so this episode is all about love addiction. And we've talked about it before on the show. And we've talked about addiction before. We've talked about a lot of the things that have to do with this stuff. But we are dedicating today's episode to love addiction, the why, the what, the how, the what do we do with it. I think as some people have done some attachment work after they have listened to some of the episodes on here, they have probably realized that they're struggling with some of these things um, that we're going to talk about. And so now we're giving you some language and just some info to help. As always, I want to say this is not therapy. This is just us talking about the brain, the nervous system, our attachment, psychology. It's talking about the world of therapy, but we are not your therapist giving you therapy on this podcast. We're just two therapists spoiler, talking on a podcast. Okay, so the guest. So today I have Melanie Reese here, and she is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and she's so good. She works about two blocks down from me on Music Row in Nashville, and she is so good at what she does. So she owns Trauma Therapy of Nashville, and like I said, it's on Music Row, and she is also a certified clinical trauma professional. She is certified in EMDR and brain spotting and all of the good things, and she's also somebody who can supervise other therapists working towards their licensure. So she is like a helper to the therapists, if that makes any sense. So you have to have like a certain level of knowledge and experience to be able to do that. And she has it. And she's just really cool because she doesn't just focus on the brain. Um, She focuses on the brain and the body, which I really appreciate that about her. So all that to say, She's awesome, and she is an expert in this topic, in this field of our field, and I'm really grateful for her taking the time to come walk over to our office and sit down and talk to me. So you're going to love her. If you want to find more about her, then we say this at the end, but I want to just shout out this now. You can find her on Instagram at Trauma Therapy Nashville. Like literally, that's it, Trauma Therapy Nashville. And if you are somebody that hears some of what Melanie is talking about and really want to gravitate towards her, and if you live in in Tennessee and you want to work with her, you can find her at traumatherapynashville.com. 
And then if you're somebody who just wants to find out more about her and learn more from her, you can follow her on Instagram at at Trauma Therapy Nashville. Super easy. Like I said, she's awesome. And I think that you guys are going to love everything that happens in this episode. So thank you, Melanie. And thank you guys for listening. And I will see you guys on Wednesday for Couch Talks. Welcome back, guys. I have a very special guest here. Her name is Melanie. Hi. Hi. Thank you. And she is actually also a therapist. So you're getting two therapists Mm -hmm. at once, Mm -hmm. which is nice and might feel a little crazy. And today we are going to talk about something we've kind of talked about before, but not in depth in a really long time. And that is love addiction. Yes. So... I want to ask you guys if anybody's ever heard of that, if you haven't listened to any of the stuff that we've done about it before, because I think some people will probably be like, yes, oh my gosh, because it seems like to me, it's like trendy. Does that feel okay to say? It's becoming more... The term love addiction? Yeah. Or just the concept? The concept? Probably the concept. I feel like we in mental health, you were surrounded by all the time, so things get normalized pretty quickly, but then someone that's Mm -hmm. just not too familiar with that world or concepts of stuff then it they're like hmm what is that yeah i mean how can you be addicted to love right (laughs) yeah right Mm -hmm. and i will say when i started as an intern in a treatment center we had a whole program that was dedicated to sex and love addiction and Mm -hmm. when they drove me past that house i literally was like what (laughs) what do you do there right what is that it was so foreign to me now this was 2013 so it was a long time ago and Mm -hmm. i think even in the field that was not as big of a thing Mm -mm. so we're going to talk all about it today we're going to talk about what it is where it comes from how you know if you're struggling with it what to do all the things and before we really get into it i i want to put another disclaimer out there that anything that you are like oh my gosh that's me or feels triggering and i don't mean triggering in the way that like oh i need to go like cope with my uncomfortable feelings Mm -hmm. but triggering as like oh that feels like something that i've been dealing with Mm -hmm. that's the point of this episode to kind of bring light to some things and kind of give some awareness but there's work to do after that so Mm -hmm. that's a long-winded way for me to say this is not therapy even though you are (laughs) hearing two therapists talk okay so how would you define love addiction how would you describe it to somebody just somebody who'd never heard of it like me in 2013 that was like what the term love addiction it can be really triggering for people because it just sounds so jarring or unfamiliar but it looks like addiction in the same way because we experience the same kind of stuff physically and mentally you know when you become addicted to a substance or any other behavior we get a withdrawal pattern from it um, a reason but we're using it for self-soothing and coping with things that are have a deeper underlying meaning to it and so you can have physical if you've ever withdrawn from a relationship that was so painful uh, your body will hurt you know it craves the same thing you know like we would with addicted to an actual substance well I'm glad you said that because a lot of people are probably like yes I know that in some of my most painful breakups I felt like like I was sick like literally felt sick yeah well, this is kind of just bringing in more of a concept of how I view things and why this stuff makes so much sense to me and the clients that I work with is our emotions are like a natural neurological response. For every thought mm-hmm. and experience we have, we have emotional reactions in our nervous system, our nervous system and our body, like everything mm-hmm. is all a whole thing. That's why we experience, we get nervous, our mm-hmm. stomach will hurt. I work with chronic pain, so I see all kinds of body mm-hmm. responses that it's a lot of times a response to what we've experienced our Mm -hmm. thoughts have physical reactions and so by just that concept alone it makes sense that when we are feeling a lot of emotional pain our body can experience it in those same ways when you're looking at addiction like with substances i was reading something the other day you have a a substance being introduced to your body and that's why we have reactions to anything Mm -hmm. but when you're looking at substance use that's why we build a tolerance your body starts learning how to live like that with that as a part of its system that's why then people get sick when they stop when they've been drinking for so long their body's having that withdrawal and starting to shut down Mm -hmm. so when you're looking at love addiction to kind of go back and this isn't quite the elevator pitch but it's the long elevator pitch (laughs) we're in a really tall building (laughs) yeah (laughs) the feelings you get think about when you when you have a crush on somebody or a new relationship starting and you get that text message oh it feels so good you get the butterfly yeah. in your stomach and just that's a chemical re- dopamine being released mm-hmm. in your brain it's that feel good happy love thing that's what 
is working in the system. And in the same way we keep trying to get more when we're in like active substance use with love. And I know we'll get into some of the the deeper roots of that, but it's that's what we keep trying to go back to. We want that hit. It's a high, that text message, that small, sweet comment that comes very rarely or even just being in the presence. That's the feeling that we're keep that we're addicted to. I'm not sure that I quite love the term love addiction because love isn't what we're experiencing. It's what we're trying to get, but it's more of repeated trauma. You know, we've talked about trauma bonding, that sort of stuff. And that that's part of that cycle. It's like we're more, our body got addicted and wired in a way that it, it needs the trauma because it's a false sense of connection and love and self-soothing and all those things. One of the things that you said in the beginning of your long elevator (laughs) is was people get turned off by that. And I have experienced that with clients. And I'm just going to assume that you have that when you introduce that concept to somebody, it's like, not me. No. Yeah. So I will self-disclose this is something I dealt with in my you know, twenties. Mm-hmm. I, well, I, I was dealing with it for a long time, but then became aware of it when I started doing my own work in my twenties. And the first time my therapist said that to me, I was like, Mm-mm-mm. and that was probably two more months went by mm-hmm. when I was like, okay, maybe mm-hmm. we're on to something here. I'll read the book that she was suggesting. And when I read that, I just bawled. The whole time I read, every time I sat down to read it, but I got excited to be doing that because I knew I, I felt like I was reading the Your key story. to myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, man, th- this they could have just written it for me, mm-hmm. and it was everything was like hitting home, and I was like, why did why could I? Because I was going through a, a divorce, mm-hmm. and it was like, why am I finding this now and yeah. not before? And I think the best response that my therapist said was, you don't know that he would have done anything different that it would have looked different on the other side. You might have looked different and it could have gone differently, but you don't know. Yeah. So spending time on that wasn't worth yeah, for my energy. Yeah. But then it was more of a I couldn't wait to keep reading and learning all about it because it was yeah. helping me become aware of why I was doing things the way I did and why I was feeling the way I was feeling. And then it definitely helped moving forward Mm -hmm. in how I engaged in relationships because I think it's important. This isn't just about how we are in romantic relationships. It's how we are in all of our relationships, coworkers, friends, family, everything. I think part of the, the initial like, oh, no, that's not me. One, two, that's rude for you to say that. Three, I'm getting a new therapist. Like, I think the part of that initial, like, eh, that can't be me is because of the term love addiction. Because I think if it was called something else, people would be like, oh, because nobody has any problems when I talk about attachment theory with them. And I'm like, oh, it looks like you, this might be where you lean and let's look at that. But as soon as you tap, you slap on some kind of addiction label, it's like, I can't do that. No. Yeah. Shut up. Like, don't talk. You don't know what you're talking about. And I think that that it's sad because and it can feel shameful for people. I think that one, if anybody hasn't listened to the addiction episode I did, go listen to that because one of the hopes in me putting it out there was to kind of take some of the shame and the like ickiness away from anybody who struggles with addiction because people who identify as addicts aren't bad people. They're responding to like a very broken world or they're responding to trauma or they're, they're doing the best they can. It's just like not working very well anymore. And that's what you're saying with this too. It's like this, these hits that we're going after, that's a, re- a response to trauma and it's a way to self-soothe. It doesn't make you a bad person to want to feel good. But we demonize that when we use that term addiction. That's just got a bad reputation. Well, I'll tell clients too when, you know, the shame and stuff is getting in the way from us even trying to take a look at stuff. And I try to name it when I, you know, hear clients starting to talk about it. But it's when we weren't provided the connection or mm-hmm. care or safety or the example of how to do that, get our own mm-hmm. needs met when we're younger. It's not, okay, we turn 18 and now we know how to do it. So when I look at all these things we do to try to deal Mm -hmm. with just life, substance, you know, all kinds of addiction and just maladaptive behaviors, I try to name it as, man, you really know how to try to get your needs met. It's just not the healthiest way. Let's figure out something else. Mm -hmm. And so that is a really good reframe. I talk about this sometimes with clients because it can be hard to hear Mm -hmm. to say, we're having some struggles with relationship withdrawal. Let's talk about why. 
And that can be a really helpful way to kind of think of it. But mm-hmm. just I would encourage people when they start to feel that shame because they've done something that wasn't helpful. I figured out a way to try to help yeah. and cope and self-soothe myself. It's just not healthy. What might there be that I could do different? If you end a relationship and it was with somebody you loved and you didn't want the relationship, well, even if you didn't want the relationship to end, you can still feel a lot of pain. So mm-hmm. what separates somebody from normal human feelings and emotions in relationships and what constitutes some kind of lean towards a love addiction that's a great question um because it's appropriate for us to feel sad and and miss people in relationships and just to be sad they ended because it was such a part of you know our life or who we are but then when it goes into being a struggle is we're assigning meaning to ourself and our value as a result of this person leaving. A long time ago, and I can't remember who said it to me or where I read it, but as adults, we tend to say, I'm abandoned, I was abandoned. But as an adult, you can't be abandoned, you were left. But when we frame it from a childhood wound, because children can get abandoned, they don't know how to care for themselves. So when they're abandoned by a parent, it's abandoned. But as an adult, we're still experiencing that way, but it's just someone left the relationship. So when it's still framed with all of that rooted in abandonment from a childhood wound, I'm always digging into the why, (laughs) you know, what's at the root of this. And so when that stuff's still not resolved, that's why we'll experience it as an abandonment instead of this relationship ended or this person left. And we can be sad that they left. We could have not wanted them to have left, Mm -hmm. but it's not assigning things a meaning to us or our value as a result of it. And then when the addiction kicks in, what does the behavior look like? Oh, the addiction was already going in the relationship. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that already started. That's, you know, our attachments formed by the time we're like, I think it's like 10 months to a year old. Mm -hmm. And then they just get strengthened by Mm -hmm. everything we experience from there. Somebody who struggles with love addiction, what does their behavior in relationships, outside of relationships, an attempt to get relation. What is their behavior? (laughs) (laughs) Gotcha. Um, So here are some qualities of, I say, our addict brain. Okay. An exaggerated sense of responsibility for others' actions. Tendency to do more than necessary on a regular basis. A tendency to become hurt when people don't recognize their efforts. An unhealthy dependence on relationships. An extreme need for approval or recognition. Feeling guilt when being assertive, a compelling need for control, a lack of trust in self and or others, fear of being abandoned or alone, difficulty identifying feelings, problems with intimacy and boundaries, and difficulty making decisions. So those are qualities. It's not just in whether we're in a relationship or out of a relationship. It's all the time. If we're not in a relationship, then that compulsion can transfer to a sex addiction or substance, like another type of mm-hmm. addiction because we're trying to get a need met. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes when we're in long-term relationships, then we may already start looking for another relationship before we end this. It's common that we're going from relationship to relationship because we're constantly having to have a source of to get that need. And when we're not, then we're going somewhere else for it. So when you're there's no relationship, what are we doing? Um, Attempting to get one or doing another? Yes, a lot of our mental energy goes to daydreaming and thinking about like our next relationship, how are we going to find the next person? And our self-worth is always tied to this. And so when we can't get it, then then we'll bring in some other addictive behaviors. Which is where cross addictions come in, which I don't know that we've really talked about a lot, but I, I kind of call this like the whack-a-mole of addiction because we all have like a start gate when it comes to that. And again, what is being said is all coming from a root of your attachment wounds and, and finding a way to heal that and reorganize that in a way that sometimes kind of works or you think it works, but then long-term it's really not working for you, but we don't realize that. The whack-a-mole addiction stuff comes in and we engage in cross addictions when one addiction is not available or maybe we like find sobriety from one of it or one part of it or we there isn't a relationship available so we go to something else to get that same fix it might look differently and I think a lot of people will beg the question well isn't this better than that yeah I mean some things may be better than the other and that's what we're looking at it's not about how bad is something that I'm doing you know when you look at 
exercise addiction, Mm -hmm. food addiction. We need to exercise and food is Mm -hmm. healthy for us to eat. But it's when you're looking at your relationship to it. Yeah. Why we're doing the behaviors we need to do. What's it doing? So if it's motivated out of a self-medicative coping Mm -hmm. thing, the behaviors we're engaging in is getting in the way. That's a a real hallmark of this is that we continue to do maladaptive behaviors and we're aware of it. The the cost or the desire for the need to get met. Mm -hmm that doesn't really matter the the pain that it's causing one question that came up in my head is what do you think about dating apps (laughs) (laughs) and their assistance in helping those who struggle with this engage in their addictive process because like just disclosure i talk about dating apps with like a lot of clients and it is a fight of like do i do this do i not do this do i do this do i not do this is this good for me is this bad for me there's not a one size fits all we're not going to answer that question but i wonder what you think about like dating apps and their addition to the uh, availability of being able to engage in the this addiction. addiction yeah oh well i mean just like getting a like on an instagram post yeah getting a like or a match with the potential partner it's another form of getting that that Mm -hmm. hit also and this is something i've noticed i mean i've been on dating apps and the swiping it's it keeps a hope alive that we're putting ourselves out there and you know we get lots of messages you should put yourself out there and living in this age of pandemic Mm -hmm. it's it's very hard to meet people so it's it's a really double-edged sword there because it can be really helpful because we may meet people we'd never met before. Mm -hmm. But when we're approaching, and again, it's the why. Why are we wanting to meet somebody? Is it because my life is in a great place and I have room for that and feel like Mm -hmm. I can give as much as I'd want to receive? Or is it I'm not okay and I don't feel comfortable and I feel bad about myself because Mm -hmm. I don't have a partner. We get caught up in the shoulds. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm 40. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That it's taken a lot of work mentally to to get to where it's like, you know, whenever I was dealing with this back in my 20s, it was like, all right, you know, I got a divorce. I was like, I have a blank slate here. I really can create Mm -hmm what I want and I was in this process of learning how all this worked and then it so it was some time set aside to not give my energy to that because I knew I couldn't do it the way I had done it my whole life and so learning how did I want to be in relationship what type of relationship did I want and that's doing a lot of the work because this trauma work is involved in all kinds of stuff you know attachment learning about all that helps you start to recognize when someone healthy is standing in front of you and someone who hasn't quite done the type of work you know needed which is a good point to make it's another question I get all the time how do I know how do I know if this person's healthy how do I know if this is a red flag how do I know and is there a response for that or is that a different response for anybody who's asking like how would you say you can tell if somebody is a healthy person for you to engage in or not that's a good question and it can't some of it's going to be different I tend to when you know because I have clients that will ask that question and it's the goal is not to find this perfectly healthy person walking around I don't think that necessarily exists it's like what percentage of the time um, mm-hmm. are they engaging in healthy things and so when you're looking at someone in, in front of you I'm not going to expect them to just be this picture of health, Mm -hmm. but what's their willingness and openness to have feedback on things Mm -hmm. in a relationship and to talk through things? Mm -hmm. Are they emotionally shut down and not engaging? Do they inquire those things for me? You want someone, if, if you're, you know, deal with this love addict stuff, your attention and everything, you'll skip work. You will not do things for you in order to spend time and be around this person. You wanna be with a healthy person if you're in a relationship and you see someone doing that, the healthy response is you need time to yourself. Yeah. Go take some time, go spend time with your friends, build mm-hmm. those relationships. You can put that person you're in a relationship with on a pedestal mm-hmm. and they, you just your world is revolving around them. And that's one reason it hurts so bad when that relationship ends because yeah. there's nothing on the pedestal anymore. Hey guys, Kat here and I have something very important to talk to you guys about. Now, I know you're used to hearing me talk about therapy and how important it can be for you and how transformative it can be for you in your life. But if you're somebody who's tried therapy and it just hasn't done the trick or you just need a little extra boost, I think I've found the next best thing. And the next best thing 
might just be cozy earth in their bamboo sheets and their bamboo pajamas. It feels like you are stepping into a buttery, cozy, warm, and cool hug all at the same time. And that's just their pajamas. Don't even get me started on their sheets. As soon as I touched them, I said, okay, we're changing the sheets right now. And the bonus is they come in this really cute travel tote so you can take your sheets with you wherever you go. Elevate your summer getaway with Cozy Earth's luxurious bedding and loungewear, ensuring the comfort of home wherever you roam. We're all in luck because you can discover your next destination for ultimate comfort at Cozy Earth. Visit CozyEarth.com and use our code UNEED at checkout to get 35% off. Yes, 35% off. And let them know that we sent you Unique Therapy after you check out. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. You know, something that I will say a lot of times, and I think this was true for me, might still be true for me, (laughs) is that one way that I encourage people to like use a, a meter of this is something somebody that I, I maybe should lean into and see if this is somebody I want to date or not. In in the beginning of a recovery process from a love addiction type place, mm-hmm. you're probably going to be bored with healthy people. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So no, there's if, no chase. Yeah. They're there and available and that's either going to feel scary and yeah. make you avoid it. Or when you try to push into it, they're not going to engage in those like, you know, not codependency yeah. type behaviors and, and it looks boring versus the person that's a chase that yeah. we constantly are we're used to thinking and going after those hits. But when it's right there available and that's a big part of when you're looking at, I think, love addiction, there's uh, they call it the love addict or the love avoidant. Mm-hmm. And those two dynamics, it's like their attachment styles are different for those two people. And it's what happens is when we then engage with a person like two avoidants aren't going to end up together because neither one of them are going to care enough to put into the relationship that's going to last that long will you describe both of those people yeah and it'll pull in like attachment stuff because that's a lot of the stuff's rooted in attachment and childhood trauma but like if you're looking at an anxious attached person and the avoidant they both desire intimacy Mm -hmm. and, and connection in a relationship it's their attachment styles are determining their responses to closeness they both fear the abandonment or being mm-hmm. left and so a person with an anxious attachment they constantly they're they're wanting to basically we're trying to rewrite our relationships in the past mm-hmm. so if we didn't have connection with a primary caregiver and that we didn't get our needs met we are constantly then trying to if i can make this relationship work mm-hmm. i've then rewritten my mm-hmm. story and now i'm loved Mm-hmm. You know, it's just difficult when we're not in aware of kind of how this stuff is going on, because at the closeness and avoidant is going to pull away. It's going to feel smothering or it's going to feel too much and overwhelming. They'll get flooded. And so they're, they're not showing up. They pull away. That could be they don't text as often. You know, at the beginning, it's like we were texting every day, mm-hmm. morning, not all day long. And now I didn't get a good morning text. Well, that can trigger somebody. Right. And I think that the part that's confusing is because 
somebody who is avoidant in the beginning of a relationship when there's no like there's not as much pressure and there's not as much of a commitment and there's not as much of an expectation for them to be there they can show up and they can text every day and they can be that like you can feel that that's the honeymoon part of a relationship and then all of a sudden they feel some responsibility in the relationship yeah. or they feel like they're well, getting as the intimacy, intimacy or closeness yeah you know starts building they're that's like, when they can have some yeah. of that well someone that isn't aware of their attachment being anxious that's gonna they're gonna read that and it's gonna feel personal Mm -hmm. to them that it has something to do with them their worth their value and that they are gonna look to what do i need to change to be different in order for this person to stay so that's why we put so much of in front of us that we launch into the anxious behaviors which is Mm -hmm. texting a million times calling a million times when we haven't had a response in 30 minutes Mm -hmm. Those types of things. That's the reach out and let me pull closer. I've got to get my claws into this relationship mm-hmm. before I lose it. Because that's the fear setting in. That's how they respond. That then triggers the, the, avoidant. the avoidant to be like, okay, this is getting even worse. <laughs> I got I to gotta get out of here. Yeah. And it's just a repeated pattern. But I always said, that's each other's stuff yeah. engaging. When you move more into what we call secure attachment, we've taken the time. It's it's good to take relationships slow so you mm-hmm. get to learn this stuff and I think having conversations at the beginning, what's your attachment style? Mm-hmm. You know, and learning that about each other because then you start to read in that secure place. You read a pull away of I now know this is more of a response to their fear of closeness. How can mm-hmm. I help them stay here in the middle with me and let them know yeah. it, this is an okay relationship and safe to be in? Yeah. And an avoidant knowing an attachment's behaviors. It's like Okay, I know this, she gets anxious. Well, I hate saying he or she, but my partner gets anxious when they don't hear from me. So if you get a text from your partner that's anxious and you know you can't talk for the Mm -hmm. afternoon, then it's you get to know each other. I know I can shoot them a text and say, hey, got your text. Um, I'll be able to talk in a few hours. Mm -hmm. That helps the anxious person calm calm down and be able to stay in that middle zone of secure attached. Mm -hmm. So your your reading behaviors is not personal, but this is more their response to something. And how do you help them lower that that fear response? One thing that I like that you touched on is like in healthy relationships, there is no rush. In healthy relationships, we can take our time. Mm -hmm. In healthy relationships, intimacy is built through information and time, not just like, let me tell you my life story and now we're attached forever. Well, safety in relationship is built upon repeated experiences. We get to that way. And I was even, I was talking to one of my best girlfriends the other Mm -hmm. day. We'd had a hard conversation about something and we you know, we talk all day, every day too. Mm-hmm. And I, the next morning I was like, oh, I haven't heard from her. My first response, because I think I'll always have an anxious brain. Mm-hmm. It's just becoming so aware of how you engage in that. My first thought was like, I hope she's not upset with me. But then my next thought was, I've had so many experiences with this person that shows me mm-hmm. that it's okay if she's upset with me. We'll be mm-hmm. fine. She's not going to leave. And we can have a conversation about it and I know that's not how she does things mm-hmm. so I had safety to not you know call are you okay or da, 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 you know and to just let her you know mm-hmm. when we saw each other we we talked and and I was like I just want to say thank you I love that I've had enough you know mm-hmm. safety created by experiences with you that I noticed I didn't yeah. have to worry that you were angry with me there's a codependency aspect in that too which also go listen to that episode if you haven't but a lot of times I'll hear, and I've felt this, I've totally felt this before in relationships where like, I don't want to bring that up or I don't want to talk about that or I don't want to have that conversation because I'm afraid if I do, they'll leave me. Yeah. So then I don't. And then I'm sitting there either building resentment or becoming like a shell of a human or building more anxiety. And in a healthy relationship, one conversation where you're asking for a need to be met or you're having a hard, but in a healthy relationship, you need to have an ability to have hard conversations without a fear that if I have this one conversation, it's all going to be over and there can be no conflict ever. Mm-hmm. Like conflict is helpful in relationships. Yeah. It's how you learn. I, yeah. I always tell my clients, everything we do, you are teaching people how to be in relationship with you mm-hmm. through external 
or internal boundary setting. You know, mm-hmm. you know that how there's some people you're like, oh, you could say that to that person and get away with it. But oh, I wouldn't say that to her. Like they've never explicitly said, don't say this thing to me or it's OK to say this mm-hmm. thing to me. But you yeah. know it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm talking about is those everyday ways mm-hmm. that we show up in relationships, what we're OK with and what we allow and what we're not. Mm-hmm. We're telling people how to be in relationship with us. Yeah. Okay. So before we talked about the qualities of love addiction, what we didn't talk about is what are the actual behaviors look like? We didn't say that explicitly. So I want to go back and have you tell us what, if somebody's like this, some of this stuff is hitting me. These are some behaviors to really pay attention to. The actual behaviors that we do when we're in relationship and in kind of engaging in this dynamic. So it's an unrealistic Hallmark movie view of love where romantic intensity that meet cutes and is this person the one we're, we're mistaking that those kinds of feelings we're getting for intimacy and connection feeling desperate worthless or alone when not in a relationship so we kind of talked about that seeking a new relationship while not in a relationship so using sex as a way to get someone interested that's mm-hmm. that's a big one leaving a relationship once the sexual intensity and newness fades that that's I think like you said kind of becomes boring pretending to be interested in activities that aren't enjoyable as a way to keep a partner or to um to meet someone new which I don't know that it's necessarily bad to try a new activity or something you know to be socially engaged but when we're it's really I think at the root of that when we're we're not listening to our own needs Mm -hmm. values wants that sort of thing we're giving that up kind of in trade for a relationship relying on romantic intensity as a way to escape from stress and other types of emotional discomfort sex addiction stuff can get pulled in there and i think that's a lot of times when you see support groups it's a sex Mm -hmm. and love addiction because they're very intertwined um, the dynamics and the root stuff that goes on trusting too much or too little um so it's either all or nothing i know i used Mm -hmm. to come from a place of i'll trust you until you give me a reason not to and now and i thought i would kind of like flipped and just went too hard of you have to prove that i can trust you Mm -hmm. but that's actually i think a healthy way um you've got to find there's always a balance in in that but those repeated experiences that's what letting someone that's why we go Mm -hmm. slow Mm -hmm. get to know how people show up in the relationship with us so that we can then gauge and build on that trust um, so that or either if we're the type that's like I'm not going to trust at all because Mm -hmm. that means you you can get hurt if you let yourself like someone too much I used to say that too of like I trust you until you give me a reason not to and I thought that was such like a sign of like I'm such this good person yep (laughs) 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 my idea of like what romance and Mm -hmm. all that looked like was definitely from the movies growing up well and even when you use the word uh, the term meet cute if you don't know what that is it made me think of have you watched to all the boys i've ever loved no on netflix Mm -mm. well there's three of them now they're great movies they're so cute but the last i don't want to give too much away so just fyi if you haven't watched the third one maybe earmuffs for a second but (laughs) part of it is part of that movie is about them having a meet cute and like them not having a good enough meet cute for Mm -hmm. it to be like a worthwhile relationship And while I love that movie and I want to watch more movies like that, I have to remind myself, this is a movie. Somebody wrote this to be exactly this way. And the world doesn't work that way. And in one of my relationships, I remember being like, I just love our story of how we met. Our story is so good of how we met. And that was one of the reasons I wanted to stay in it. And then there's other relationships. Speaking of dating apps, it's like, I don't want this to be my story. But like... (laughs) Okay. I know. I hate that when yeah. someone puts on their um, willing to lie about how we met. Yeah. And I'm like, why do we? Yeah. yeah. Why? But I, the story that like someone, I mean, I married my high school sweetheart. It, it probably would have, you know, the divorce would have happened sooner mm-hmm. if we both were paying attention. But we both were known as this couple mm-hmm. from teenage, you know, our mm-hmm. teenage years. And I think that was a big part of you know, while we, we don't want to be someone that got divorced, yeah. you know, our our narrative to the relationship has a big power dynamic mm-hmm. there, too. And we don't realize that a lot of times. Yeah. It's OK if you meet on a dating app. Yes. 
absolutely <laughs> it's also okay if your high school sweethearts and that that yes, works absolutely. out mm-hmm. but i think that yeah that story plays such a role a big bigger role than it should like it's cool if you have a story that you think is cool but it's not necessary and it doesn't Absolutely. make up for a bad relationship. Anyway, okay. So also, bef- we've touched on this a little bit throughout this, but we've talked about trauma. We talked talked about attachment, and we talked about kind of like around this stuff. But I want to know, like, from your perspective, because you are a trauma therapist. Like that's like the like the meat of what you love to do is trauma work. And so, from your perspective, what does trauma and that's a big word have to do with love addiction and somebody being in these kinds of relationships or behaviors just to preface a little bit in defining trauma because a lot of us think Mm -hmm. it's just the big events of sexual assault or ptsd for veterans Mm -hmm. um that tends to be what comes to mind Mm -hmm. or going through a natural disaster but there's all kinds of trauma but i really in a short answer it's anything that has a lasting impact on us um, emotionally physically psychologically spiritually it's your past experiences that have gotten stuck and lingered and continue to influence us in the present you know what my one of my first supervisors when I started told me how she defined it she said trauma is anything less than nurturing oh, I love that yeah and I think that's such a nice easy way to put it because that says everything you just said of like it doesn't have to be this big t huge thing mm-hmm. so when you're looking at attachment the things that created that for us that's trauma stuff mm-hmm. um, it's those experiences that had such an impact that it's our makeup and, and ideas about ourselves and how the world works mm-hmm. is skewed Mm -hmm. and so those childhood traumas so it's not getting those needs met it can be like we said if you're abused as a child that's going to create anything that's going to shape your relationship to what Mm -hmm. being close and in relationship and intimacy is going to feel like Mm -hmm. it's those things they happen way back when our system gets wired i forget where i was reading this but it's like i start every sentence with like i was reading an article Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) um but like our our nervous system it gets wired very early you know Mm -hmm. and we if you're just looking at our fear center in the brain that tells us what what to be scared of. And so we need it to work to tell us if we're standing in front of a bear, we need to run. But when we have those experiences as a child where our needs didn't get met, we didn't attach to a parent that's supposed to care about us Mm -hmm. we were it could be a relationship where it's it gets where we're always nurturing the parent or we just had to fend for Mm ourselves. what gets wired into our system in that fear centers it starts recognizing and because we're constantly scanning you know for what's safe Mm -hmm. and what's not but bids for connection and closeness become it triggers this is something to be fearful of Mm -hmm. and so it's in our wiring and so being able to resolve those, I'm always like, I'm always interested in the why, like why did mm-hmm. it get there? Um, not just the symptom management of it. And we can think about I'm doing this or how do I, can I respond to this differently or think about it differently. But when we're not like acknowledging like it is a, a way that we've gotten wired and we've got to then we've got to resolve the reason why that got wired that way so that we can rewire, so to speak. And so I'm thinking, I'm trying to think of like ways to describe this for somebody more like tangibly in relationships, but for somebody who in their early attachment, in their early childhood, in their home and wherever they grew up, if they had experiences where attempts to connect to a caregiver, they felt rejection, there's a, a highlight of this is not safe, this is not good, you don't want to feel this. Or I'm not I'm not worthy of it. Right. I don't deserve it. Yeah. So that's when we're in our adult relationships, we're trying to then recreate that. We're trying to connect and get the messaging that we're okay. Mm-hmm. I am loved. And that's a, another characteristic that you know isn't necessarily listed out when you read literature. But do you share too much too fast when you get in the mm-hmm. relationship? It's like, I'm going to yes. tell this person yes. all of my ugly stuff. And it's because if they then stay and accept me, now I'm loved. Yes, yes. <laughs> and okay, so the, the this is interesting because I think that you can do two things with this. Because some people are like, well, I, I don't do that. That is one way of going and get fixing and rewiring. I got to prove that I'm, I'm worthy. It's our attempt to. Yeah. Yes, that's a more anxious human being. The other part that is... That entrenches the pattern further. Yes, yes. <laughs> so the, the other part is like you might have that experience and then you 
taught yourself that it is unsafe to want and it is unsafe to be in a relationship or desire people and to have connections. So then you zip yourself up and that's where you lean more avoidant or that's when like relationships, let's say you start being in a relationship and then you start feeling like that, like, oh, this person needs me. This person wants me. I want them. They're going to end up rejecting me. They're going to, they're going to tell me that I'm unworthy, just like mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, babies, whoever did. So they run away. So that's that perfect picture of like, you can have the same experience and your response to take care of your need can be different, but the underlying desire is exactly the same. Yes. Exactly the same. I want to avoid being rejected and I want to feel attached and loved yeah then you know you've got the whole anxious avoidant it's like a mixed style um where you can this is a smaller percent i think of the population are anxious avoidant but it can look like someone's withdrawal makes us really anxious but we're only going to experience it on the inside and so outwardly our behaviors might be the the avoiding behavior as well Mm -hmm. so it's whether that's just a i'm gonna like withhold showing affection or withhold like sharing of myself Mm -hmm. because we're we're trying to like we want that person to come closer remember Mm -hmm. all of anyway when you're looking at anxious the goal is our behaviors are then to i want to bring this person closer so anxious avoidance is going to feel that anxious it's going to trigger them on the inside but then our external behavior is going to be like i'm going to not share i'm going to not be available to them in hopes they're going to come chase me I know with clients, people get really stuck on the like, am I anxious? Am I avoidant? Am I this? Am I that? Am I insecure? And like, I think that it's helpful to have those labels and all of that. It's so helpful. But I also have developed this way of looking at all of the spectrum because I, I can lean this way in these, in these circumstances this way and I can be secure. I think the important part of all of this is knowing what am I attempting to do? rather than putting like what what style am I sitting in it's like what am I what am I trying to to do and what do I really need what do I really need absolutely yeah what, and that's kind of why I mentioned like oh you can also be a little bit of both, both that it's not that we have to put a label on it and I think with anything whether you're straight up diagnosing yeah. you know a disorder or something like that it's just look at it and see like how much of this fits me then you're more likely to be experiencing it Mm -hmm. that it's not about like putting a label i mean i try to reframe like labels for clients is that means it happens for enough people that we had to come up with a name for it yeah that's really all it is and so whether it's a big t or a little t or this is common Mm -hmm. or not it's just like you said what's your experiences and what's going on with it like how's that working for you right now Mm -hmm. (laughs) let's say i'm like heck yes this is me now I feel stuck. Is there hope for people who feel that way? Yes, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and my first uh, response is always going to be like, this is something that you're like, oh my gosh, I'm in this. Mm-hmm. If you have the resources and the, and the means and the ability to go to therapy, go. And if you are in therapy and you've never talked about any of this stuff, bring it up. Are there things that you can um, recommend for any individuals who are like, this is me and I feel now I'm like, I want to do something about this other than like going and doing their, their work. Well, that's the only way we're going to be able to really do anything and see any change and experience our relationships different. But the first is read about it. Like the, my kind of go-to book and it was the one that was suggested to me Mm -hmm. and I've looked at several other ones and I still keep going back to that one is um, it's called facing love addictions by Pia Melody. Mm -hmm. Um, She's actually got a treatment center called the meadows that has several, it's all kinds of addiction but love addiction is one and so there's there's treatment centers for this kind of stuff um but she that's a big thing for her that she looks at and so it can be going to a treatment center but reading the book and saying is the how much do i identify with this it really starts to pull the veil back of like here's and it can like i said be really hard to read but Mm -hmm. first get an understanding and know how you're engaging with it if that's something that that's an issue for you but then bring it up to a therapist you know start to work on it because it's it's rooted in those some those childhood wounds whether we call it trauma or not but it's that wounding and those messagings that that tells us what we have a right to do we have a right to need things or want things and is my worth valuable Mm -hmm. we're getting our worth from external things so it's more about how does that Mm -hmm. shift to being an internal 
thing that it's if I never met another you know person again and was single the rest of my life I'd still be okay and have a pretty fulfilling life Mm -hmm. Um, it's getting to that point because then it's when a relationship ends it's I'm sad I spent a lot of time with that person and I'm gonna miss them versus oh my god I'm gonna be lonely and miserable the rest of my life and that's the difference in response so if we're still like it's heavily tied to who we are as a person we may have some more work to do. So I'm naturally going to end up being around when I'm doing the things that I like that bring me joy around other people that have the same kind of thing going on. I'm going to connect with that. Mm-hmm. And so it's sometimes it's trusting that because it's, the, again, if our focus is on like on the search trying to find it, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I've deleted dating apps because I was like, mm-hmm. I'm getting too focused on that. And I was able, that's because it feels hopeful because we desire to be in relationships and I was like I'm still hopeful without yeah. that and so it's that was something where and that's I think what moving more into health of this looks like is knowing we're always going to have that tendency but we're able to catch it and we're able to divert and do something different yeah and so let go of things when we need to um that it's constantly moving us forward but it's build the life that you want that you're happy with for you it's not around a pedestal mm-hmm. right and then those people who are naturally around they get to join in with us in where we are that we treat for them i look at it that way it's and same for me a treat for me to be in relationship Mm -hmm. with with people um that that's built on getting to know each other and valuing each other i've told clients if you are constantly anxious in a relationship and constantly worrying if that person likes you or worrying that they're going to leave it's good to keep in mind it could be some of our own messaging but that's not what relationships are supposed to feel like Mm -hmm. And that's a good cue to kind of take a look and say, is this the relationship for me? But when when we're creating more of our own thing, then, you know, we can invite people into our space, but our world's not going to fall apart if it doesn't work out. And it not working out doesn't mean we failed. Yeah. Thank you for being here. Thank you for doing this. Thanks for having me. It's exciting. Um, That book again, I'm, Pia Melody wrote Facing Codependency too, mm-hmm. which I recommended a couple weeks ago. So just get both of the books. Yeah. <laughs> knock them out. If you live in Nashville and you are like, wow, this sounds like somebody I need to talk to more. How can people find you mm-hmm. to reach out for you for their own healing? And then also, is there a way that people can reach you on Instagram and all of that? they just want to follow along yep uh, my website's traumatherapynashville.com and we've got i have therapists that work with me in my practice that are familiar and work with these types of things and trauma um, informed and trained so that's one way to reach us uh, contact information's there and on social media it's trauma therapy nashville pretty easy cool. <laughs> all right well thank you very much thanks for having me This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com, that's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.